Let's all turn to, first of all, Zechariah. That's the second book from the end of the Old Testament to the end. And Zechariah 14. But then you can keep your finger in Genesis 9 and 10. The end of Zechariah is so wonderful about when Jesus comes back and it talks in this 14th chapter about this destruction of all wicked people, uh, how they're going to be done away with. And chapter 14 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, of Zechariah, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. That means every nation in the world. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So some people will be left. A third will be brought through this. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet, that would be Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives. So in Acts chapter 1, where did Jesus go up after his resurrection. Where did he go up from? The Mount of Olives. And when he went up, he's coming back to the same place, to the Mount of Olives. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. And so from north to south, there'll be a huge valley, making a very large valley. Psalm 48 talks about this. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half toward the south. Then you shall flee, you, you third that are left in Jerusalem, through my mountain valley. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. And nobody knows where that is. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah of Judah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. This is the day of the Lord. This is after the rapture. So you won't be a part of this. And no believer will be here. But those that are left will be here. In that day, verse 6, there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord. Neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea. And Ezekiel chapter 47 talks about this. It's, it's a wonderful part. Uh, Ezekiel ends this way. Living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, from the temple, half of them toward the eastern sea, half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. All the land shall be turned into a plain, and if you've been in Israel, it's just very mountainous. Imagine how it's going to be flattened. In that day, it shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel to the king's wine presses. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people 
who fought against Jerusalem. You can see all of these Muslim nations that are surrounding Jerusalem. They're just itching to get down to destroy her and cast her into the sea. This shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, on all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. All the other feasts will have been fulfilled, Passover fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross, unleavened bread, uh, that he's the bread of life, pa uh, first fruits, well, I mean, before that, Pentecost, when the church started, that's fulfilled. All the feasts, seven of them, except this last one, the tabernacle, which is in the fall, the last feast in the fall. They'll keep this, so the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. See, in this Feast of Tabernacles is a thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will meld into the future eternity. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses, the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take, take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So um, everything's going to be holy. There will be no wicked Canaanite. So we come back here to Genesis, where we were in Genesis chapter 9. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for each one who's come out today. We thank you for your Bible that teaches us not only everything that's past and how this earth came to be, but everything that's in the future. If we will read your word and you've laid it out for us. So just help us as we uh, unravel all these secrets that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in chapter 9 where we stopped last week, we finished nine. We saw that after the flood, and we've seen that the flood wiped out and cleansed the earth, and every wicked thing was taken off the earth, and next time it'll be the fire. And we read that in the last part of Zechariah. Well, you can start with chapter 12 of Zechariah. It says, In that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone, verse 3, for all peoples, all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem. Now that hasn't ever happened yet, that all nations of the earth gathered to fight against Israel and wipe it out. You can know who's behind that, Satan. 
Uh, in that day, I will strike every horse with confusion, verse 4, and every rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a firepan in the woodpile. In other words, you take firepan and dry wood and it starts a big fire. I'll make Judah like a firepan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. In verse 8, in that day when the Lord, after the rapture, and all of this is happening, in that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. In the house of David, remember David said, he teaches my hands to war and I can break a band of steel with my hands. That's how strong David was. They'll be like David. In the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem and pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they've pierced and they will mourn for him. See, who did they pierce? Jesus. And so someday all of Israel will look at Jesus and his nail prints are still in his hands, always will be. And they will look on me whom they have pierced and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning it had in Rimmon in Second Kings 23, in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. But in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and moral filthiness or uncleanness. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live because you've spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesies or stab him to death on the spot. And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to make people believe they're actually prophets. They won't wear this robe of coarse hair to, to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet. I am a farmer, for a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And someone will say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So you can imagine, it's like when they look on him whom they've pierced, they will realize that here's this one with wounded hands that they did and he'll say I was wounded in the house of my friends can you imagine how this will just pierce their heart with sorrow and 
repentance. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. See, in 70 A.D., when Jerusalem was destroyed, there was a saved remnant. But when Jesus, that night he was betrayed, this happened. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. All of his disciples left him. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, and one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them, as silver is refined. This is probably Israel's dispersion in the tribulation period after the church is raptured. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, Israel. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. And then it goes on to say, the day of the Lord is coming. This is after the rapture, the tribulation. And your spoil will be divided. And much of the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord when the Lord's judgment and vengeance on sin will be brought to this earth. So he said, the day of the Lord is coming. I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished, and so forth. So then the Lord will go forth and fight for you, for Israel. And then it goes on to say, it should come to pass, verse 16 of Zechariah 14, that everyone who's left of all the nations who came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoever the families of the earth don't come up to worship the king of hosts, there won't be any rain on them. If the Egyptians don't come up, there will be no rain on their land. And they'll receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This was the final feast of the Jewish people, and it really pictures the millennium, and then after that, the thousand-year reign, and then after that, eternity. So it's eternity is after this. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations. They don't come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And then it's this strange verse. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Say This is a negative way, Dr. Ryrie says, of saying there won't be anything evil. All will be holy. But about this Canaanite, now we're back to Genesis chapter 9. So we're going to see where Canaan got his start. After the flood, and we're in chapter 9, and God had given the sign of the covenant that he'd never send a flood again to destroy the earth. It's going to be by fire next time. But so he sent the, the covenant, which is the rainbow. So every time you see the rainbow, you know that God will never destroy the earth by a flood of water again. Now the sons of Noah, verse 18 of chapter 9, who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, why did it mention that right there? It doesn't say, and Shem was the father of such and such, and um, Japheth was the father. No, and Ham was the father of Canaan. So we need to see who Canaan is. Well, then we will in a minute. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated from either Shem, 
the Semites, or the Hamitic peoples, or the Japhethites. And these three were the sons of Noah. And now then chapter 10 is going to tell us who came from Japheth, who came from Ham, and so forth. So it says, and these three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what Ham's youngest son, Canaan, that's what this would be, knew what his younger son, Ham, in verse 22. So draw a line a circle around his, up to verse 22. Ham's youngest son is Canaan. He knew what his younger son had done to him. So he's probably the first pervert. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So these people that descended from Ham, cursed be Canaan, because he came from the Hamitic family, were the Egyptians, the Sumerians, the Phoenicians, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the, the Mongol tribes, and the Africans came. So these people all came from this family. But may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. And the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz. And some of these you'll recognize. Have you heard of the Ashkenazi Jewish people? The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland people of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his own language, according to their families, and into their nations. So it mentions then here, the, son, the sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them. So this Gomer uh, was a, probably the people that became the Russians and the Germans. Magog, um, the Russians, and Madai, Madai were the uh, Scythians. Javan were the, Jew, were the Greek people, Hellenists. And Tubal was Asia Minor. Meshach is Moscow and Tobolsk. And Tiras was Spain. So we see this is how... Japheth spread over the middle part of the globe, east and west. The sons of Javan were Elisha, which is Cyprus, Tarshish, which is Spain. You remember in the book of Jonah? Jonah, God told him to go <laughs> to Nineveh, and he went instead to Tarshish, which is just the opposite direction from Nineveh. It was up this way, and Tarshish over this way to Spain. So that's where Tarshish was. So the sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, 
and Dodonim, the uh, Dalmatians and the, um, I can't read my writing very well. And from these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated, everyone according to his own language. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim. So Cush is Ethiopia. Mizraim is it's called the sons of Mizraim, or Egypt. And Put is Libya. And Canaan is Sinai. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabtica. And um, Eurasia or Arabia, or maybe I can't read my writing, it, too much other stuff I've written between the lines. And the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush begat Nimrod, uh, so this is a famous name. His name means, Dr. Morris says, his name means we will revolt. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Maybe he wanted to control the whole earth. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So you see, Babel had a very unsavory beginning, didn't it? With Nimrod starting Babel. And Babel, Babylon is still over there in Iraq. And it will figure prominently in the last day's prophecies, Babylon. Just like Jerusalem will. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar, which is Babylonia on the Euphrates, and the other cities near there. And from that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, and Ur, and Kala. And reason between Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. So Mizraim, which became Egypt, begat Ludum, Anamum, Lehabim and Nephtuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim. And if you have a Morris study Bible, he goes into this in the notes just wonderfully. Dr. Ryrie doesn't do that much with it, but it says he says, these verses list the descendants of Japheth who settled in an area that stretched across Eurasia from the Black and Caspian Seas to Spain. Concerning Gomer, he said, read Ezekiel 38. Concerning Magog, Read Ezekiel 38, so it's probably Russia. Concerning Tarshish, see the note on Jonah, which would be Spain. These verses detail Ham's descendants who went to Africa and later spread west along the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. So these other nations. Now Nimrod's activities centered first in Babylonia, Shinar, and included building the Tower of Babel, that we're going to see. Then he went to Assyria. These verses describe the descendants of Shem, and that we're going to come to a little later, who occupied the area north of the Persian Gulf. And the dividing, we're going to see, and no one knows exactly what the dividing of the earth, but I'll tell you what I think it was, not that it's right. But anyway, the sons of Jabin, verse 4, were Eliphaz, Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands everyone according to his own language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, which became Ethiopia, Mizraim, which is Egypt, Put, which is Libya, and Canaan, which is the Sinai. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, 
and Sabdika. And the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, and Calna in the land of Babylon, or Shinar, by the Euphrates. And from that land, he went, um, Nimrod did, to Assyria and built Nineveh. And that's Mosul today. So it's figures in today's prophecy and and news even, and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and reason between Nineveh and Kala, that's the principal city. Mizrim begat Ludum, Anamim, Lehabim, Neptuhim, Pathrusim, Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines. So the Philistines came from Kasluhim and Capturim. So these were a nation that lived on the coast. They were seafaring people, very fierce. Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, then Heth. So Sidon is still there, and the Hittites were a mighty empire that covered all of Turkey and all that area around there. So Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, or the Hittites, and he begat the Jebusite, uh, which are the people of Jerusalem, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite. So the Sinite. Dr. Morris says that S-I-N could mean like the Sinai, but it's a name for ancient China. So this may mean China. The Arvidite, the Zamorite, and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, which would be south. That was one of the Philistine cities along the Mediterranean coast. They had five major cities, the Philistines did. And David had to hide in some of them, if you were later on these figure in the Bible story. As you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah were south and very lush properties. Adma and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands and in their nations. And children are born to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. Now that's where we get the word Hebrew the first time. So Eber means Hebrew. And the children were born also to Shem. So the, the Hebrew people are Semites, as are the Persians, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, which is Persia, Asher, which is Assyrians, um, Arphaxad, and Lud, and Aram. Job was from this next one. The sons of Aram were Uz. There was a man named Job from the land of Uz. They came from Esau's family. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxad begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber, Hebrew. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So Dr. Morris says Peleg was born 101 years after the flood. So that brings it back to see where we were. This is possibly the year of the Babel dispersion.
he says, you know, after the language was all changed, everybody had a different language. So they all went in language groups in different parts of the earth and settled. Joktan begat Almadad, Sheleth, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadarim, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, uh, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. Now this Jobab uh, must be a different person than Job. And their dwelling place was from Mesha, as you go towards Sephar, the mountains of the east. We don't know exactly what that is. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families. But see, evidently, they went eastward from where they started out, from Babel, from Babylon, eastward. So that may be where the Chinese got started and all the nations in the east, all the families of the earth. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Then it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, see I underlined that, so they all went east, like to China and, and the far east, they, as they journeyed back from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Babylonia or Shinar. And they dwelt there. So they first went east, like where China and all the far east is. Then they came back as far as Babylonia. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And the city with a temple with a Zodiac. That's why we keep talking about the Zodiac. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with the heavens in its top, is what that should read. Whose top is in the heavens, but with the heavens, with the Zodiac. So they were going to worship the sun, the moon, the stars. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. In Deuteronomy 17, I've written a note to myself. Moses said they were not to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars in Deuteronomy 17. So this is exactly, uh, they had built this tower, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and I've written a note here about the tower that it might mean uh, like Stonehenge, the remnants of a place of worship over in England. And I guess they have fence around it now, but when I was over there, you could walk all around and touch the stones. Now you can't do any of that. But it's a weird place, and I really wanted to get out of there because I felt demonic presence in that place. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They all have one language. This is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. Who is the us here? And it's the same. Let us create the earth. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is reference to the Trinity. The Trinity isn't mentioned by name. But here we have it. Let us go down and there, there and confuse their language 
that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore the name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, so this is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. So now we return to give the descendants of Shem and to the main purpose of the book is about the Semites and who would come from this family. After he begat Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years, begat sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived 35 years, begat Selah. And after he begat Selah, Arphaxad lived 403 years, begat sons and daughters. Selah lived 30 years and begat Eber. So that's the Hebrew. After he begat Eber, Selah lived 403 years and begat sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begat Peleg. After he begat Peleg, Eber lived 400. So we said that Peleg, back in the previous chapter, of verse 25, that Peleg, in his days, this Peleg, the earth was divided. Now, whether all the peoples of the earth were scattered at the Tower of Babel, or whether there was a great dividing of the lands of the earth, you know, into the seas, and the, instead of one piece of land, the waters and the seas, it could be that, or it could be just scattering so after he begat him, Eber lived 34 years and begat Peleg. After he begat Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begat sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ru. After he begat Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begat sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begat Serug. After he begat Serug, Ru lived 207 years and begat sons and daughters. See how quickly the earth could be populated after the flood, Sarag lived 30 years and begat Nahor. After he begat Nahor, Sarag lived 200 years, begat sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years, begat Terah. After he begat Terah, Nahor lived 119 years, begat sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot, Abraham's nephew. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. So that is where Abram came from in Ur of the Chaldeans. The first chapter of Acts says, I mean, no, the second of Acts says, the Lord had said to Abram when he dwelt by the Euphrates in Ur of the Chaldeans, leave your land and I'll make you a great nation. So that's when Abram followed the Lord and went up over the fertile crescent and down into the land which is now Israel. So Abram begat Nahor and Haran and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah. So Lot was the nephew of Abram and Abram raised him. His native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. This is west side of the Euphrates. Then Abram and Nahor took wives the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son, Abram. He was 180 years old. 
He took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with him from Ur the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so this was the 260 years since the dispersion. And this is, Haran is a frontier town of Babylonia. And it was devoted to the moon god. So that's what Abraham came out of, worshiping the moon god. Now the Lord had said to Abram, so he had said earlier, get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. You know, and even all of them, Muslim fellows are called Abraham, some form of the word Abraham. All nations have done this. Your name shall be great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's Galatians 3. Let's turn back to Galatians 3 and just see this. Chapter 3, he starts out, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you would not obey the things that Paul taught them and they were going into false things. So he said, just as Abraham, verse 6, believed God and it was accounted, his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith Preach the gospel. Oh, that's interesting. Now, what's the gospel? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later. That's the gospel. So he, God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified or declared righteous by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but a man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, Paul says, although it's only a man's covenant contract, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it, to the contract. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds, plural, as of many, but as one seed, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, the law of Moses cannot annul the contract or the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, if you're saved by keeping works, it's no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? 
Well, what the law does is tells us what sin is. We know what sin is by the law. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added to the promise because of transgressions till the seed, that would be Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator and that was Moses. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor or our teacher to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. See, you know what sin is? So you look all these, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And when Jesus came, believe in him and he will take away. all the, He died for all these sins. He took them on himself. And when you believe in him, all your sins that you're born with were taken on him and you're free in him, believers are. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a teacher. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that means, baptism means to put in union with. You think of it just water, but no, it means to place in union with. So if you're baptized under the water or sprinkle or whatever means of baptism, many people are baptized in the Jordan River and go down under the water. I died with Christ. Up out of the water, I've risen again with him. It's a perfect picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what baptism means. You are baptized into Christ. You put on Christ. That's our position. Neither is there Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free. Neither is there male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, the promise was that Anyone who believed in Jesus, the seed that would come from Abraham would have eternal life. So anyway, now back to where we were in Genesis. That in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Abraham, verse 3 of chapter 12. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken to him, verse 4, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Sarah was 65. So she's really past the age of having a child. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. This is a 400-mile trek or journey down the Euphrates, following the watercourse down to Canaan. And Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Notice this again, the Canaanites. And the companion Bible says that the Nephilim also were in the land. So the Canaanites and the Nephilim, all in the land. And the Nephilim are a cohabitation between angels and humans. Nephilim was then in the land, the Canaanites. 
Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, and I guess if I remember correctly, when Moses brought the children of Israel up out of the land of Egypt, they first came to this same place, Ai, and then they crossed the Jordan there, and that's where they entered the land. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. And somebody, a Bible teacher of the past, when you go down to Egypt, it's always down, <laughs> not up, because it was a bad environment. And Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a beautiful woman, a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So this probably was the best thing under evil circumstances that he could do. So she was his half-sister, so this was a half-truth. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, and she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So... Did he have a very good testimony, Abram, going down to Egypt with Pharaoh? No. He didn't. She's my sister. So Pharaoh commanded him, go away. Then Abram went up from Egypt instead of down. He went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south, the Negev, south of Judea. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they couldn't dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites, I noticed that, then that same thing, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And one of the writers says, these were the Nephilim. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, 
then I will go to the right. Now God had given Abram all this land, but notice how magnanimous he is. He offers it to Lot. He said, if you take the left, I'll go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left, verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look toward the place where you are. Look northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if, if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariach, king of Elisar, Ketalermer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. So there are five nations. They made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah. Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. These all joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Ketalermer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Ketalermer and the kings that were with him came back and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Carnium. So these half-angel, half-humans were there and the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavakiriathim, and the Horites in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites. This is Esau's land, and Haziz on Tamar. And the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle at the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, the Valley of Siddim, against Ketalam, or king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariat, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the Valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pit, or bitumen, and you know that's, it still is, isn't it? They dig down and what flies up out of the earth? Oil. And so that's where it was, the asphalt pit. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. So where did Lot first go? Just to the edge of Sodom. I'm not going to really live there. I know it's wicked. But now he's in town, probably an elder in the council. And I've written Lot's worldly choices got him in this predicament. 
And so he dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. One who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree. Notice he isn't called a Jew. Nobody's called a Jew until the book of Jonah. But he's called a Hebrew, Abram the Hebrew. And that we saw that he was from Eber, E-B-E-R, which where we get the word Hebrew. For he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abraham. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 300, only 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan, which is a Canaanite city. He divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So it's northern Syria. That's a long trip. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot, his, his nephew Lot, and his goods, as well as women and people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Ketalamer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek. Now this is the first time we meet Melchizedek. He's a real person. People try to say he's not a real person because this is part of this battle. Melchizedek, king of Salem, so later became Jerusalem, he brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. Now he brought out the emblems that we use for communion, see? And so Melchizedek was a wonderful fellow, king of Jerusalem, the priest of the Most High, and Melchizedek blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkel, Mamre. Let them take their portion. So we better stop here. Our time is up. So next week we'll start with chapter 15. After these things, after this battle and all, these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid, Abram. Now we see, well, why would he be afraid? Well, he thought he won this battle, but now all these would go and regroup and come after him again. So there was fear in his heart. So God knew this, and he said, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And he's also our shield and our exceedingly great reward. So we don't need to be afraid of anything either. Lord, bless us as we consider these things and bless our families and and anyone sick among us, we just pray that you'd raise them up. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.